This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of Paranormal Encounters. 7? Seven? 7. Huh. It's that number right after 6, but right before 8. You've probably seen it before. Mm, I thought it was an L. <laughs> yeah, L's down. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> now... I'm going to tell everybody ahead of time, the story we've got tonight, we've had some great stories so far. The story we got tonight is from Dolly, and out of all the stories that we've done so far, this is the one that you better grab your Kleenex for. It's heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. So, just giving you the heads up. Yeah. So, the first story we're going to read tonight is actually from uh, Marlene in Bogota, New Jersey. It says, Mildred Johnson and I visited Rye Beach, New York on July 4th, 1938. An excellent swimmer, Mildred decided to swim out to the breakwater a mile distant. Although only a mediocre swimmer, I bravely followed. Since the breakwater, a natural rock formation, was connected to the other end of the curved beach, I knew we would have to swim back. Fortunately, I was able to rest twice during the long swim, once on a float and again at the anchor of a motored yacht. While I was resting the second time, Mildred already had reached the breakwater and was sunning herself. After this breather, I continued my swim, but halfway to the breakwater, I suffered a cramp and went under gulping water. Terrified, I gulped more water and went under it a second time. I surfaced, I prayed, Oh, God, don't let me die. A second later, I heard the voice of a fair-haired, blue-eyed young man. He was in a rowboat. Hang on, he said. I'll pull you over. Gratefully, I grasped the stern of the boat. We reached the breakwater, and with a a word of thanks, I scrambled up onto the rocks. It's time you got here, Mildred said. No thanks to you, I replied. If that man had not rescued me, I would have drowned. What man, she asked. I scanned the horizon to point to the rescuer. In that short time, he could not have traveled more than a hundred feet, but the waters around us were empty. He had completely disappeared. Years later, my father and I found a photograph album among the possessions of a recently deceased aunt. Opening the album, I studied the pictures of the relatives living and dead. Abruptly, I stopped before the smiling portrait of my father's brother, Herman Scomaday, who had died before I was born. This blue-eyed, blonde young man had been the rescuer at Rye Beach. Aww. That's a wonderful story. I thought so. I thought it was some That's really quite, nice. Quite nice. Aww. You've got a nice one for us, too, though. Yeah? I think 
enthusiasm is you know crazy. Birch called. He wants his enthusiasm back. Um, yeah, get out <laughs> is the name of this story. <laughs> Mrs. Henrietta W., who lived on a forty-acre farm near Oakville, Iowa, became uneasy early in July, nineteen sixty-five. Feeling that her house was haunted, it frightened her. She could hardly bear to go in it. On July 17, 1965, she was awakened by a loud clashing sound from another room. She went to look, but everything seemed to be in order. Uneasily, she went back to bed. Then she heard footsteps outside of her bedroom. Recognizing them, she got up and opened her door. Her dead husband stood there. He said, get out of the house. Then he disappeared. Frightened, not knowing what to do, she went back to the bed just before a heavy bolt of lightning struck the house near her bed. She only came back to consciousness when the, her night clothes caught fire. Well, I think that might do it. That'll do it. And she managed to stumble out of the house just in time. Her son, who heard the bolt but did not know his mother was in the house until she came out, took her to a hospital in her bare feet with a sheet around her. Fortunately, her house and furniture were insured, the house of $7,000 and her furniture for $5,000. She's still a slightly deaf from the lightning bolt, but her hearing is improving. That was from Nell from Newton, Iowa. All right. Well, thank God that, you know, somebody came and said that. That could have been... Can you imagine having a lightning bolt strike your house? No. Can you even imagine? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, well I'm, glad she's o- I'm glad she's okay. Shocking ain't got nothing to do with a lightning strike. Lightning strike is electricity. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is shocking. But I'm glad she made it out okay. All right. So, are you ready... To hear Dolly's very heartwarming story. Yes, I love Dolly. Now, and I'm I thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm going to preface this by saying that um, Dolly had a hard time with this. Mm-hmm. She canceled the first time we were supposed to do it. She almost canceled this time because it's a very hard subject for her to talk about. And she did break down a few times during the course of telling the story. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, we just let her go at her own pace obviously absolutely so um but this is dolly's story hey guys we're joined by a uh, familiar face you might remember her from uh, a while back she came on and did a story but we've got dolly from uh, iowa and uh, dolly you've got a i'm going to say a heart-wrenching story tonight that is going to be very hard on you to get through you almost backed out of this this actual interview um just because the more you thought about it, the the harder it, it is to confront. But you feel like this is going to be good therapy, and I'm glad you decided to do it. Well, I'm I'm glad that there's an open audience to listen to it. <laughs> um, this is pretty much a story about two vets that I have no connection whatsoever, but I become the connection between them. Um, the first one uh, being my brother. Uh, Norman Lee Wendell. He was a very proud American vet. Um, he served in Vietnam. And I, I got to give you a little bit of background on, on this guy because 
everybody always says when somebody is no longer with us, oh, he was the greatest guy ever, you know, he would take the shirt off his back, he would give things that he didn't have. But when you said that about Norm, it was the truth. I mean, it really was who he was. Um, and his family was his everything. He was the glue in our family. And there's um, seven of us siblings um, to the point where his younger brother, who was actually an older brother to me, but it was younger than Norm, um, he, he was kind of always in, in trouble with the law. And most of it had to do with bar fights. And uh, they finally got tired of him, and they said, well, here, here's your choice. You can uh, either go to jail or you can join the Army. Because this was during the Vietnam War, and they were just taking any warm bodies they could get. Um, so my brother Norm, knowing that my brother Carl was probably going to go out there and get himself in trouble, went in and enlisted in the army as well and what they called at the time it was called the buddy plan and the buddy plan supposedly was you could enlist with a friend or a brother or somebody and that you wouldn't be separated and that's true until they decide to separate you <laughs> right. and yeah, that's exactly what happened and norm went to vietnam and and uh he had a he, he put in his full grueling year over there and at the end of the year they uh said you know you're a great soldier and and we hate to tell you this but uh we're gonna let you go home for 30 days but then we're gonna need you come back for another six months and he just honestly told him if you send me home I, you are never going to see me again so he spent 18 months straight over in vietnam um, on his own choice, because he knew he wouldn't go back if he ever got a chance to go home. And his homecoming was bittersweet, because um, in this part, I know people are going to think this, you know, oh, everybody has these crazy stories in their family, but this is the honest to God's truth, because I was there and I lived it. My dad had heart problems, and he had had them, early on. He was only 47 when he passed away. And my mom was always on him, you know, don't, you know, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop smoking, you need to stop doing all these things. And he would always say, well, you know, I'm not going home to meet my, you know, meet my maker until I hear from all my children on the same day. And when was the last time that happened? And like I said, there were seven of us, we were scattered all over. There was just me and my sister left at home. Well, my brother, Norm, he he got to California from Vietnam. He got his feet on American soil, and he wanted to surprise my dad first off the bat. He called home about 4 o'clock in the morning and said, Dad, I'm home. And an hour and a half later, my dad passed away. Um, Norm, being the man he was, all his plans were done. He was going to go to Kentucky. He was going to live there with his new bride that he had met when he was stationed at Fort Knox. His whole life stopped. He came home to take care of his family. Well, in short order, my, my family life completely fell apart. And I was 13 years old when I moved out of my mother's home and in with my brother Norm. And he became everything. 
He was my best friend. He was my brother. He was my dad. He was everybody. And he took care of everybody that way. Well, everybody grows up, moves on, has families, gets married, gets divorced. All these things happen. And he still was the one that kept taking care of everybody. And he would do it to the point he was so easily to take advantage of because he was such a giving person. And there were people in my own family that were just abusing him, just taking, taking, taking. And I'd get so mad at him. And I'd say, Norm, you can't keep doing this. Just tell him no. And his answer was always the same. Well, if if not me, who? He was right. There was nobody else that was going to help them. And I had been approached by him for help. And I just said, no, you know, you need to start taking care of yourself. Well, I knew Norm was doing this, so I never gave any of them any money. But I would send Norm, my brother Norm money because I knew he was putting it out. I was the only one that ever helped him. Well, this July, past July, I got that worst phone call that could ever happen. My elder brother called and said he had passed. Well, I thought, I can't go back. I'm not going back. I can't see him like that. I was just a headstrong. And then as the day went on, you know, I told my other brother, well, I'll fly home for the funeral. And the next morning I got up, and I just had this energy, and it was just like Norm was telling me, you get your big girl panties on, you get your ass back there, and you take care of things. And I got in the car, and 12 hours later I was there, and I did. I started taking care of things I had no idea how to take care of. I mean, when you're talking about pension and retirement and insurance and Social Security and bank accounts, checking accounts, I had no idea. I had never done anything like this in my life. And every step along the way, everything just kept falling in place. And, and I would walk into the Social Security office saying, I need to do this, I need to handle this. And they're like, well, we, we can get you an appointment in six weeks. I'd talk to them a little bit more. I'd say a few more prayers. The next thing you know, can you come tomorrow afternoon? I took care of everything that way. And I kept telling everybody, everybody, this is Norm doing this. This is Norm. Because he's still taking care of us. And I was just running around doing all the things that people don't think to do. I mean, I'm, I'm getting people food. I'm filling up cars with gas and buying toilet paper. I'm trying to think of all those things that everybody forgets to do in times like this. So I got home and um, I got my credit card bill, which was um, a credit card that I never used. And you know, the bill came in, it was like $1,026 or something. And I thought, ouch. But I thought, I can I can do this. I, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. Two days later, I got an email. I had won $1,000 cash from a local concert venue in a contest I had no idea I had ever even entered. And I just thought, there's always coincidences, but I'm thinking... Within $26, I wind up getting cash money for something I had no idea I had even, you know, entered. So I'm thinking, all right, this is another gift. 
this is another gift. And about that time, I heard that there was going to be, I never even knew this existed. It was the traveling Vietnam Memorial Wall. And it is a replica. It's like seven-tenths the size of the one that's in Washington, D.C. And it travels across the country. It sets up in parking lots and things. So people that can't make it to D.C. can make it to the wall and find their loved ones and, you know, friends and brothers and whatever on this wall. Well, then I heard that, I thought, I'm going. Because I knew Norm had always wanted to go. But he never spent the money on himself to do anything like that. So I'm going. So I went the first day it opened, and I took his picture off my nightstand, and I took it with me. And when I got there, I wasn't expecting how overwhelmed I was going to be. But I was just shaking. I couldn't even get out of the vehicle. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with you? You've got to do this. So I got out. And I, I turned his picture outward so he could see the wall. And I went to the farthest end. And I walked very slowly along that whole wall. And then I stopped at the years 1970 and 1971, because that's when he was there. I got to the end of the wall. I stopped. And I went back and I did the same thing all the way along the wall to the end. And they have a little monument thing set up in front of the wall. And it's, uh, oh, it's some combat boots, uh, a weapon, a helmet, dog tags, things like that. It's just like a little memorial that's set up. And one thing you'll really notice if you ever go to a wall or anything like this, um, it's very somber. It's very quiet. There's a lot of forced smiles and nods and tears, but there's not a lot of talking going on. And so I wanted to get a picture of Norm's picture in front of the wall in that memorial. So I, I stepped back, and there were people there. They were by it. and So I just kind of wandered back, and I stood back for a while. And... Um, few people passed, you know, we nodded at each other. And then somebody walked up behind me, um, just off to the left and slightly behind me. And and I assumed they were just looking at the wall. And then they, they just stayed there. And I stood there and waited and waited. It was probably 25, 30 minutes. I'm thinking, am I ever going to be able to take this picture? And I thought, you know, they need their time too. Just be patient. And... Then there was a break, and there was nobody up there. And I thought, well, I've been standing next to this person for 30 minutes. I've got to at least acknowledge him. So I turned to say something, and there was no one there. No one I could see. I felt the air come out of me. I felt my knees go weak. And some lady, I don't know who she was, she just rushed up to me, and she just started holding me. And I just cried and cried. And she just kept hugging me. And and uh, when I got myself together, I just kind of backed up, and I, I just told her, thank you. 
and she just looked at me straight in the eyes and she just said, it happens. They didn't even bother to ask her what she meant by that. But I knew it was him. I knew he was there. So I went up and I took these pictures. As leaving, there's a um, mobile van thing there that you can, they'll help you find your loved ones on the wall. If, you know, you want to find out where their name is. Well, they also sell these coins. They're commemorative coins. One says, thank you for serving. And one says, welcome home. So I wanted to buy, and the, the money all goes to promote this wall and to keep it moving and keeping it alive. And so I wanted to buy two of them. Well, of course, I didn't have them. I had to order them. So two, the two came in probably a month later. And they were both the same coin. So I was a little disappointed. I emailed him and said, you know, I actually wanted one of each. And could I send this one back and, and get another? And they said, oh, no, no problem. You, you go ahead and keep that one. We'll send you the right one. And we're sorry for the inconvenience. And, and uh, I says, well, you know, there's a vet that lives in my complex, my condo complex. I said, you know, I think I'm going to give it to him. And they just said, well, that was a wonderful idea. They said, yes, please give it to him. Tell him, you know, thank him for his service. And, and I said, well, I always do that anyway. So I'd see him here and there. And I knew he was a vet because he wore his camouflage jacket, his veteran's baseball cap, and his old beat-up truck was adorned with American flags like no other. So I had seen him and stuff, and finally I crossed paths with him. I was walking my, uh, my daughter's dog, and I saw him, and I walked. Of course, I didn't have the coin with me, but I walked up to him, and I said, well, thank you for serving, sir. And he got, he just lit up. He, he, you know, he, he was all smiles then, and he went to reach down to pet my little nine-pound attack dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he reaches down, and... And Chip just, and he just, he just goes into attack mode and, and he stepped back and he looked at him and he goes, whoa, Cujo, down. <laughs> and we just laughed, you know, that he called that my little puppy Cujo. And I'd see him from time to time at the mailbox and stuff. And, and I kept thinking, I got to get that coin over to him. I got to get that coin. And, um, I just never ran into him. Well, then I noticed his vehicle wasn't parked where it always was. It was parked in a different area that was farther away. And I thought, well, maybe he's parking there because the stairs are hard for him. And he could walk the sloped sidewalk over there. And I had told my daughter about the Cujo joke. And, you know, she would ask me, have you seen your vet? And, you know, now he was my vet. And I'm like, no, I haven't. You know, I'm kind of worried about him. And then I noticed his truck was gone. Then I really got worried about him. So I went on a walk and came back to the condo and thought, I'm, I'm going to go see him. I'm going to get that coin. I'm going to take the dog and me and, me and Chip are going to go see him. And I went over and I knocked on the door and it opened just a little bit and I could see it was a woman inside, which surprised me. And I said, I don't know how to say this. I said, but does a vet live here? And she said, yes. And she opened the door. She goes, but he passed away. 
And I just, it just came over me all over again. I was just so sad that I hadn't gotten to him sooner. And she invited me in and she told me they'd been married 35 years. He had been a, a, a soldier for over 30. He had served in the Air Force and the Navy. He loved being a soldier more than anything. And I told her the story about how I met him and the dog and and all these things. And I said, um, and I got this coin for him. And she says, oh, that's wonderful. And I forgot to tell you this part. When she first invited me in, there was a table by the door. And it had a wooden box. It was a, a cremation urn box that was sitting there. And she had told me that it was him. And she took the coin over and she put it on the box. And she said, look, Roger, you got a Christmas present. And I stayed with her for a little bit longer. And then I left. And I realized it hit me. It was Christmas Eve. I was at this widow's house on Christmas Eve with this coin that I had gotten from when I took my brother to see the ball. Now, you can think all these things are coincidences. I don't. I think my brother had something to do with that that took me there to visit a widow that was home alone on Christmas Eve. So those aren't spooky stories, but I think they're very strong stories of how... We can receive gifts and communications with people after they pass. Well, I think it's a beautiful story, Dolly. And I want to say this to you because I, I you know, we, we've got a chance to know each other over the last couple of years. And I know how much your brother meant to you. I've followed along on social media to see how devastated you were by his passing. And a month later, Tracy lost her dad, and you came to the event up in Atchison, Kansas, and we ran into you up at the uh, little visitor center. And you just hugged Tracy and told her you knew what she was going through, and you gave her a book on how to deal with losing a loved one and... I just want to say that I'm sure your brother is very proud of the woman that he helped raise because you turned out, I'm sure, exactly like he would have wanted you to turn out. So thank you. Well, thank you for letting me just, I'm hoping that just sharing the story will help me with it, but you know, I told you, I, I no longer am looking for confirmation that, that there's something after you pass, because I know, I mean, I know completely in my heart that he was there that day. And when I turned and there was no one standing there that I could see, I don't, I've never had a panic attack. I've never had an anxiety attack, but I know how that feels now. It was... I was, I had no control over 
how how I was reacting, and I don't have any idea who this lady was. Where and I and I wished afterwards, you know, after the fact, I wish I would have asked her what did what did you see? I mean, what what caused you to rush up to me? I mean, I just turned and, and did I did I go pale? Did I go? You know, what what would cause a complete stranger? To, to rush up to another stranger and pretty much catch me. I, 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 I still always wonder that. I mean, what, what made her do it? Yeah. And then when she said, it happens. And I mean, did she mean people get overly emotional when they, when they see the wall? I, you know, I just don't know. Well, I'm glad she was there for you. I am too. So, yeah, I do have other stories that aren't quite like this. <laughs> so maybe we'll get together and talk again about some other things. But this this was this was the the one that signed the deal for me that I knew. And we we have talked before about finding um, dimes and what they mean to people, and it was. Right after I lost Norm, I started finding nickels. And this is so crazy because he had a thing about nickels. He always did. Everywhere, you always found nickels. He just always had a thing for them. And I kept thinking, is this really just a coincidence? You know, I was kind of sold on the dime thing, and now it's nickels. And then three days ago, I think it was, I found an Indian head nickel. And I, and I just knew. Yeah, it, it is him. I mean, because Indian head nickels are not something you just randomly find anymore. Nope. And it was just laying there on the ground. It was an Indian, it was 1930-something Indian head nickel, and I was like, it is him. That is that is funny, because that is how we started talking, was uh, dimes. you finding the dimes and, and sending pictures of every time you would find a dime, you would send me yep. a picture of them. Yep. I've got a mason jar that's got about an inch deep of uh, dimes and now nickels. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, babe. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm sure it's going to help somebody out there, probably multiple people. And I hope so. From the bottom of my heart and Tracy's heart, we love you. We really do. You're a special woman to us. Well, you guys are special to me, too. And I can't wait to see you guys in Louisville. I've got... I've got my plane booked. I've got <laughs> I've got the tickets bought. I'm going to Waverly. I'm doing the whole nine yards. So I, I interviewed uh, Seth Breedlove before I talked to you from Small Town Monsters, and I mentioned you, and uh, I said that you said that he was a badass. <laughs> and he said he said who is this young woman who has been severely misinformed? <laughs> and uh, I told him that you were my dream person. I said she spends the majority of her spare time either at a classic rock concert or going to some of the most haunted places in America. I said, the way I would love to, to spend my life. So. <laughs> That's great. I love it. So, All right, babe. Well, I'll talk to you soon, and we'll see you in Louisville. All right. Love you guys. All right. So how many of you had to stop while you went and got a Kleenex? Yeah. I'm wondering. Bless her heart. Thank you for sharing that story with us, honey. And it ties into everything that we do military-wise and our mm-hmm. thoughts and to have the connection of two completely different soldiers um, 
or in, I guess the guy was in the Navy and Air Force, so mm-hmm. he was not technically a soldier. But the, the just the fact that the two military men uh, that weren't connected at all found a mutual connection was just absolutely awesome. Yeah. So, so all right, guys. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next week. And remember, if you've got a story that you want to send us, give us a holler, and then uh, you can be up here maybe as our story of the week. Sounds great.